We haven't put fertilizer on a bean crop in six or seven years, and our bean yields are are only improving, and that's because of the cattle integration. Probably cut our fertilizer to about a third of what someone would recommend for the yields we're getting. And when you can do that, you know that you're you're heading in the right direction. Welcome to the Soil Health Labs podcast, engaging ranchers, farmers, and researchers in the pursuit of healthy, functioning soils. Welcome back to another episode in the Soil Health Labs podcast. I go by Barrett Self. And I go by Buzz Clute, although Hey You also works. Hey You, yep. That's that's a... Uh, I hear people call him that all the time. I prefer that one. Dr. Hey You, to those who are in the know. Well, we've got two of our favorite uh, farmer ranchers here, Barry and Eli Little, out of Castlewood, South Dakota. Yeah, when I talked to them, when Joe Dickey and I talked to them, spoke for over an hour and a half. And so the original podcast, we wanted to keep to under an hour. But I thought that this particular passage was so telling of Barry and Eli's ethic. So they talk about some of the sheep that they raise, that they've cut back on that, some of the pigs that they have, um, and, and the chickens. And, you know, part of the reason that they love to raise these animals is, is for the great quality meat and the taste, but also for the community. And then uh, just some of the aesthetically pleasing things that they see when they got the birds. You know, if you if you go back to some of the merit or myth birds. things, Barrett says, we got the birds. So, not Barrett, um, Barry says. Oh, I say it now too. You know, Barry, Barry says, we got the birds. And so when they go out and feed the animals, you know, they're going to see the turkeys and the, the pheasants on the hay bales. Uh, and they don't make a business out of it, but um, this is for the community. And what I wanted to highlight here was how their ethic here also is a huge um, addition to their quality of life and why they love farming, why they're excited about it. And I just, I just love this. Yeah, both insightful, passionate producers. And I don't know if there's anything else you feel we need to preview before we go ahead and hop in, Buzz. No, no, I, I, I was just going to experiment with these little uh, um, uh, specials because I think it's also important. You know, it's a short special. If you're making a short trip to town, this might be kind of a cool thing to listen to. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and let you guys enjoy this one. We've got our friend Joe Dickey on as well. Uh, so this one is with Barry and Eli Little, Joe Dickey and Buzz Clue. and Eli Little, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Joe, as always, really good to see you again. My adult supervision. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was not going to miss this one. You weren't going to miss this? No, Barry and Eli never disappoint. And I noticed um, on my meeting notice that it said livestock, cropland integration, and then some. So I'm really anxious to hear what the and then some, because I've heard some stories from these guys. Well, sometimes we just uh, keep going on and on and on. (laughs) Oh, that's it. (laughs) Last time we saw Joe, he brought his drone 
and put it up in the air above our cow herd, and that was that was a fun day. Well, well, Barry and Eli, we've met before. Obviously, we were at your place in Watertown. Joe has visited you quite frequently, but I was um, really interested in talking to you about your enterprise because it's not just row crops, it's not just livestock, it's not just a couple of pheasants, but it seems to be the whole package. My my interest certainly is in the livestock integration. Maybe I can ask you guys just to tell us about your operation. Where are you and what kind of stuff do you have in your operation? Well, we are located in, in Castlewood, South Dakota, which is kind of eastern, north, central of uh, South Dakota. Eli and I together have about 1,600 acres of cropland, and okay. my brother has 1,300 acres of cropland, so we do some grazing on his land also. Okay. Uh, okay. We've got, uh, with the new pasture we got this summer, we've got 800 acres of pasture now. Okay. And, and I kind of came to the conclusion that if if you're utilizing your pasture up during the summer months, you need th uh, two times that amount of cropland with cover crops in order to make it through the year without needing to feed any stored feed. Okay, and that's that's your goal, not to feed stored feed? Yes, it's always yeah. been our goal. Okay. That's how we got started on this integrating livestock into Down to crop cropland. Yeah. Okay. So on the on the cropland side of things, we we grow corn, soybeans, and wheat, uh, both spring wheat and winter wheat. Uh, we'll do oats and uh, a lot of cover crop. So we we have a cow calf operation. in In 2022, we we had as many as almost 500 head of uh, in, in our herd between cows and calves and, and custom. And we well now we've we've actually reached a goal of being able to get rid of all the custom work and just have our own. As uh, our our cows are a tool that we use to uh, help out uh, our operation on the on the cropland side as well. So once the cows are off pasture, they're they're on the cropland as much as possible. We we have a very cold climate. We always want to tell people about that because you know we one of the, one thing about what we do with soil health and and all that is um, you you got to know your context and that's why we always point out what what our context is and and the reasons we do what we do and it's something that we've really thought about in the last five or six years is is um, how can we make things work for us in in our context. And with the colder climate, we are trying to find ways to um, grow cover crops that work for us and do grazing that will always work for us. And in the last couple of years, we've done some fun things, I guess we would say, with intensive grazing on cropland. You know, cropland is, is still our centerpiece. Uh, we make our profit on cropland. But it becomes more and more profitable every year because of what the livestock do for the soil health. I usually say this when I get an opportunity to speak, that we haven't figured it all out. 
there's been several times in my lifetime when I thought we had it all figured out and then something comes along and we have to change our paradigm one more time. We're on a journey. It gets better every year, but I'm pretty sure that we're not even a quarter of the way there. I wanted to ask you, um, how did you get into the whole idea of integrating livestock? Have you always had livestock on your operation? Was it always a cow-calf operation? And you, you had mentioned things like custom grazing. So how did you get to start? And what made you think that this would be good for the soil health? Um, it, okay. If you go back to when I was a little boy, my dad always had a cow-calf herd. And uh, I don't think we ever questioned the idea, my brother and I, that we would have a cow-calf herd because that's just what we did. Well, you and you've got land that shouldn't be cropland. It, it should be pasture. You know, that, that plays into the decision. Got it. But, but uh, you know, my dad grazed cover crops by accident. And when I say cover crops, that's got to be in air quotes because uh, after he uh, harvested his small grain, he didn't go out and till up the land. He let the volunteer stuff come back along with all the weeds. And then we put an electric fence around each field and we grazed those as long as there was any feed there. Um, so he didn't plant a cover crop, but he grazed it. Um, uh, I can't remember what year. It was like 2011 was the first time we intentionally planted a cover crop. And that was after a wheat crop. Uh, we used a spinner box behind the tractor and then we went out with a vertical tillage machine to work it in. All things that we're embarrassed about now. Uh, <laughs> but, I see Eli's uh, shaking his head a little bit there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but that year was a perfect year to try it because there was the right amount of moisture for the rest of the year. And it was the first frost didn't come for a long time. And we had volunteer wheat that was waist high along with turnips and radishes. And uh, I don't think we planted much more than that. But uh, the cattle grazed on it for a very long time. And, you know, in those days, we didn't know about paddocks. Um, we just put a fence around the whole 90-acre field and let them out in it. And uh, they ate what they wanted and, and, and left the rest. Uh, so we do things a lot more intentionally now than we did then. The cover crops, you talked about planting behind uh, winter wheat, planting, I guess, spring wheat you're taking out a little bit later. Is that correct? That's Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the winter wheat, you're planting your cover crops when? Uh, is that July, I think? We uh, we hope to have it in before August. Before and, August, okay. yeah, and and you know you you spend a little more on the mix. You add a few more uh, species. You know you got, got it. You, you you go through your cash crops where you've got you know your corns, your warm warm season grass, and your beans are your warm season legume, and your wheats your cool season grass. Right. Well, we want a cover crop where we we cover all the bases. And we can do that if we can plant it earlier. We can um, see or get our return back if we can plant that earlier. So I've made a few videos from the combine seat that I'm out combining winter wheat, and I got a picture of Eli coming across the field with the drill because he's right out there to get that cover crop in. 
you you didn't mention anything behind the corn and the soybeans. Is it just usually too late to get something in? And if we, if that is the case, how how do you deal with that? Um, with our soybeans, we plant as early a variety as we think will yield well, and that's where we plant our winter wheat is following soybeans. Okay. So, so I guess you could and. Uh, we have put turnips and radishes and clover in with our winter wheat just to add a little more biology to the what's growing in the fall. Um, you know, back to our context, um, there's a short window of opportunity to plant winter wheat. And in South Dakota, sometimes October is very cold and your winter wheat barely germinates and then you're not gonna get much of a crop in the next year. So they recommend not planting winter wheat before September 10th, but to have it all in by September 20th. Whoa. Yes. No. So that's a that's a real tight window then. Right? It is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it it's always a, a rush to to get it done. You know, once again you're you're out in the in in the combine and I'm out in the with the planter. So yeah. Um, but the uh, you know. When we can grow winter wheat and we can get it harvested between the 15th and the end of July, there's a real advantage there over spring wheat, which we tend to harvest between the 15th and the end of August. So that extra month that you have for cover crop to grow, you know, that's that's the warm season when you can really get stuff to take off. Yeah, you got some heat units there. How much opportunity do you ever have where you have a prevent plant situation? I guess you guys are, are near Watertown, and I know it's probably been a little bit wetter in the last 15, 20 years, I guess. So so talk to us about those prevent plant acres. And uh, In the last couple of years, our, uh, our best cover crops are grown on prevent plant acres that were <laughs> intended to be planted to corn. And because of the way the crop insurance program works, uh, it gets past the 10th of May, I believe. Um, and then we're past the final planning date. So if it gets to be June 10th, then all of a sudden that field's drying up the plant, we, we put in a cocktail. And uh, by September, there's usually a lot of growth out there, a lot of feed value. Yeah, so every every time we get some some prevent plant acres, we find it as an an opportunity to to plant as many cover crop species as possible. Uh, it you know I kind of get excited about seeing the the mixture. So, um, but that that's something else that that we've discovered. You know, we we talked about how you have to have a a guy for this and a guy for that. Well, you need a cover crop guy. And we found one in 2020. Um, he's just uh, he, he's kind of a, a doing seed on the side for his his family business, and and I we have never been able to find someone who has cheaper seed or can get it as quick as he can, and it's been working out great for us. So we we planted uh, 14 species full season cover crop mix in 2022 and it only i think it was 30 dollars an acre is what we had to pay and 
and typically you get something pre-mixed like that and you're talking probably 50 or 50 or 60 dollars an acre and you know he he does the recommendations for seeding rates for everything and and it 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 works out well for us so uh in 2022 we we did all we can to get everything in and we still ended up with a whole almost quarter that wasn't planted to to corn and so that 110 acre it was yeah, 110 acre field um uh, went into that 14 species mix um by the time we were able to plant the whole thing some of it was too tr- too dry and some of it was still too wet but we we did that uh intensive grazing again with that um starting in september of 22 and and graze that for 33 days um we had a we had 495 total head that we were moving every day to just over three acres every day. And uh, we figured we got about uh, 3,400 pounds an acre grazing off of that. A lot of people look at doing cover crops and things like that um, through government programs. And, you know, we, we started doing the things before these programs and then we looked at them and said, "Oh, we're already doing that. Let's let's just sign it up, uh, sign up, and get a little bit extra." So we knew we were going to get the benefit out of it before the uh, the government was going to pay us for it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that's that's pretty telling. I think um, if your initial decisions were based on ethics, and then you were able to get a little bit of uh, government help after you'd already been doing it, it's more likely that when that government help goes away, which oftentimes it does, you're going to continue to do the right thing. So that's hats off to you guys for that. It, 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 uh, it surprises me that there are so many people that say we need a check from the government in order to do soil health stuff when we know that we make more money. Our uh, return on investment is much higher because of the way we're operating, even even though we are leaving some some areas for wildlife and other things, we still make more money because it it's it just works. Well, and we we discussed uh, you know the last time we talked about how we were doing some tests with fertility uh, and and after cover crops and and seeing some pretty amazing results where, you know, we were cutting our fertilizer rate in half and getting the same bushel an acre. And so that that's something we, we continued to think about. And so, uh, you know, if you're, especially now, you know, you're thinking about cutting back on fertilizer and getting the same or better yield. Um, yeah, I want more of that. So, um, it's something we we looked at, um, you know. Like I said, with our context, um, in 2019 we planted a lot of spring wheat, and it was a very short year for growing, and we didn't get a lot of um, growth out of cover crop after that, and and 2020 as well. And and then we're you know we're thinking at that point like what what can we do? We we want cover crops. We want to plant as many species as possible. So we, in, in the fall of 2020, we planted 400 acres of, of winter wheat. And because we knew if we can get that 
weed off a little earlier, we can add a few more species and we can get, we can get more growth out of that. And there was a, a 90 acre field that Barry had that was an irrigated winter wheat field. And come spring of 21, our cousin across the road's telling us, you need to go spray that off and plant corn. You're not going to make a dime off of that. And we had about what, 85 bushel an acre winter wheat irrigated. And, and then we planted our 14 different species cover crop. And we, we, we windrowed it and we uh, subdivided it. And during har during corn and bean harvest, we we grazed that. We moved them every day, and we got 4,200 pounds an acre of of uh, grazing off of that. And what we really wanted to know was how that corn crop was going to do the next year. So um, last fall, that corn on those 90 acres averaged 240 bushels an acre and wow. our um what nitrogen nitrogen to bushel ratio well uh, the uh the university used to say you need 1.2 units of n per bushel of corn they've kind of dropped that to one now and some people are talking about how they've gone down to 0.8 well on that field we were at 0.45 so um, here's a plug for soil help. You can get your soil biology to do everything you need without having to add biologicals. So wait, I, you're telling me that Mother Nature, on its on her on her own, can take care of things better than uh, chemical inputs? Well, she's been going to school, and she's a lot smarter than she used to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just going back to your nitrogen input. So with about 110 units of nitrogen, you you got back, um, you got 240 bushels. That was dry land or irrigated? That's irrigated. That that was the but irrigated. We didn't have to put a whole lot of uh, water on. There was okay. only one, one stretch in there where it got pretty dry. I'd okay. say on that half pivot, we put maybe three inches of extra water on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, wow, that's that's not much. Before we hop back into this episode, we wanted to take a moment to remind our listeners that the USDA will be expanding conservation program opportunities through EQIP and CSP for climate smart practices. These practices include a lot. I'll go ahead and take a deep breath before I roll them out. They are conservation crop rotation, residue and tillage management, reducing tillage or using no-till, cover crops, nutrient management, grass seeding practices like field borders, filter strips, grassed waterways, pasture and range improvements, land plantings, and range seedings, as I'm sure there will be a few other practices that will fall under this category as well. So none of these are new and all of them have a proven track record in South Dakota. Get in touch with your local NRCS to see how using these climate smart practices could benefit your operation in 2023 and beyond. And now back to the episode. You also do, um, let's say, quote unquote, some intercropping 
with your corn, you mentioned putting ryegrass and then a few brassicaceous species um, in your corn before it gets to sort of uh, whatever a v, V4, V5 stage. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And has that been quite successful in allowing something to grow and then allow, getting a little bit more nutrition for your animals when you put them in the corn stalks? Yes, this is uh, that is something we have been working on for the last four years. Uh, I think in, I think we started the idea in 2018. We just had a um, a spinner go out and spread uh, turnips, radishes, and annual ryegrass with uh, with urea on our on a cornfield. And, and but we the only place it grew was where the the thing turned around at the end of the field. Uh, so, <laughs> okay, so it didn't. The, it's a spin. A spinner is not going to do the job. Yeah, and so the next year um, we modified a rotary hoe to fit. You know, it was 15 inches of the tines and then 15 inches for the for the corn row, and it we it was 40 feet wide for our 16 row planter, and um, we had not. We, we didn't put the uh, the seed on with that yet. So I think in 2019 and 2020, we had um, we had our elevator spread spread it again, but we worked it in and and that that worked in patches. It didn't really spread evenly. And um, we were working with with top dressing urea, you know, in that operation. And so in 2020, we we put a Gandhi air seeder on our our um, rotary hoe and had hoses going to each row and and then we were able to use 28% uh, nitrogen uh, for our our uh, side dressing, which we prefer over the urea just because if you don't get rain, it's not that uh, urea can uh, cannot work sometimes and I, it was a good thing we did do it that way because we did not get a lot of um, rain in 2021 and I think we waited a couple weeks and and finally that cover crop germinated and and then in August and September we had some a lot of heat and a lot of and some rain and that cover crop was just a, a bush between the rows between the corn rows and it was it was a sight to see and then you throw the cattle out there and and they have everything they need right there you don't need to supplement anything you got the the ryegrass you got turnips radishes you got corn stalks and 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 the corn stover and and um and there there's a there's a lot of value there so when we first started interseeding in the corn our goal was to get a lot of forage out of that growth between the rows um since then we have learned that the soil biology that the, those extra species uh, they they generate i don't know what the right word is but root exudates yeah be, because because we have those extra species in the soil they're inviting different microbes to flourish and that is just having a inch or two of growth through the growing season is enough to really make the soil biology flourish. So 
even though it looks like a failure, uh, it's not. It's it's doing a lot for us. And and then when the canopy opens, does it start to, uh, growing a lot a little bit quicker then? Yeah, but you know, once again, um, when the canopy does open, it's October, right. and unless we have some nice warm weather, and there's one year in my life lifetime it didn't freeze here till November. Right. So that yeah. was a great year for growing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow. that's that's another thing about looking at our context. Uh, you know, we can we've been we've been planting corn that's uh, 90 day, 91 day, 92 day instead of trying to push that more cuz we're looking at we want that corn to mature and open up for our cover crops. Hey, uh, before you get into another topic here, um, how does your decision-making process work? Because it sounds like you're constantly kind of adjusting and tweaking, experimenting, and uh, I would imagine it feels like at times sort of making it up as you go, right? So so how does that work with a father-son team? Um, how, how do you guys handle that? Well, I, I think that you know, we always look back to soil health. You know, you, you've got you've got your your tenants to follow. Uh, I, there there's a lot of operations I think that they try to make what they do work with soil health, and we're we're focused on soil health on every acre. You now, if you can just follow those things, it it makes it a little bit easier, you know. So you know, there's there's that every morning cup of coffee um, where we. We talk about a lot of things, but, you know, it always comes back to what we're doing on the farm. And uh, we were part of a, a stress interview thing a couple of years ago. And, and then we realized with our, we had we hadn't realized the fact that we have reduced our stress because we always have a plan A, B and C and maybe even more. OK, uh, we just. We just got three inches of rain overnight. What are we going to do with the cows? Well, you know, we'll, we'll do this. Uh, we'll modify our plan to to make it work. And um, we're we're always thinking about something that's a little different that might work. Well, there, if with our uh, many different operations, uh, you can always spin something positive you know if there there was a lot of people complaining a couple of years ago how much it was raining during bean harvest and i said well it, it's germinating our winter wheat yeah. so so aside from lowering your stress it, it it seems like you guys are actually really enjoying what you do i mean the idea that a father and son can get up every morning and sit down and have a cup of coffee and 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 talk about what you're going to do that day and spending that kind of time together. Um, are you guys enjoying life more the more you get into this soil health um, journey? I know I am. Uh, I I have a brother and a couple cousins that are about my age and they farm and uh, I don't think they're having as much fun as I am. And, you know, they're not farming with their boys, but they're, they're also not doing anything new. Um, you know, the whole education on the fly is is a lot of fun. Yeah. I can imagine. I've, 
I'm just happy to be here, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> me, me too, Eli. Yeah, yeah. And and Eli, you have your kids now too, so that must really, for both of you, uh, really kind of drive what you do now and some of the decisions that you make, right? Oh yeah. Um, my 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 kids love to hang out with Grandpa. I love to hang out with with me on the farm and riding riding the tractor and and you know it it is nice knowing that we're we're building something for the future it, with our with our soil so yeah yeah it's awesome i think just the fact that you guys attribute soil health to being able to keep the family farm that says volumes yep yes. Yes. so so talk to us just about the the animals are you moving them on a daily basis when they're out in the pasture and then when you know when are you bringing in them in on the cover crops to supplement? And then uh, what what do you do in terms of your plan B, C, and D when you have to when you have to have uh, dig into your stockpile of hay? We we like to throw out the word holistic grazing. You know, holistic management. Um, maybe it's it we're maybe we're using that in too simplistic a terms. But that I think that's the whole idea of being able to adjust. Where there there isn't a set date where everything has to be done. But when when we are in the summer, um, we're moving the cows every day, um, and and after so many years of doing this, I, I can look at an area and and say, all right, I've got this many head. I need this much area for what I've got out here. And, you know that that just takes a lot of time and and learning and and observation, and but it, it, every year it's different where where we start to graze, where we end grazing, what we do in the middle, and um, that that adds to the fun of it actually. Um, you know there there were guys last year running out of pasture because of the drought. Um, we were kind of in in the similar situation um, trying to get our irrigator running on our, our pasture and and keeping that going and and um in the last couple of years we've been able to graze uh crp tracks um through a new program and and finding value in that and and getting it stretching the days of our our pasture rest uh, 10 or 15 days because of that and you know, we were able to pull the cows off the pastures that were very stressed last year, you know, going onto that cover crop, that, that prevent plant cover crop in September. And now we're looking at, all right, we've got a lot of um, uh, growth, you know, old growth out in those pastures. If the snow ever melts, we yeah. might actually have some grazing out there early. Um, it seems like when there is that stockpile grazing, you get that you get that uh, green grass kind of just shooting up through it and you get some some tremendous growth right away. So there, yeah, plan A, B, C, you just gotta roll with it and have your morning coffee. Yeah, one, one thing that's uh, kind of new to us is uh, grazing wetland reserve acres. Uh, my family put an 80 acre tract into the wetland reserve, uh, I think 10 years ago and uh, when we did that, we seeded it to, to native warm season grasses and a whole bunch of flowers. Um, and because we 
of the way we operate, uh, they kind of trust us to do some stuff that maybe not everyone could do. Um, so NRCS um, got cost sharing to put a fence around that 80 acre tract and we are allowed to graze it from April 15th to June 15th every year. And we've done that just two years and our management isn't what we want it to be yet, but we went to look at it last year in, in August and the big blue stem was over waist tall. Um, and all of those flowers were underneath blooming and uh, just just by grazing management, we have reduced the cool season stuff and we're encouraging the warm season stuff. And, and that was a really great place to go pheasant hunting last fall. Fantastic. Now, when you're talking about the cool season stuff, you're talking about uh, cool season invasives like smooth brome and uh, and maybe Kentucky bluegrass. Yeah, that's okay. the stuff. Yeah. So, so as soon as you're able to graze some of those CRP and uh, wetland reserve program acres, you are seeing expression of some better expression of those native uh, native pastures, uh, native uh, species. Yeah, the the species are there. It's just that they're being um, squeezed out by the early growth of the uh, the ones we don't want yeah we've got where where there was that crp that we were grazing it goes right down the middle of our pastures on you know on each side of it and there's there's multiple species in the in the pasture and then you get into the crp and it's it's just one species and then there's one species <laughs> yeah and we want to we want to see more than that and i think we've already seen some some species added in just a couple of years of doing that. And um, it, it kind of worked out nice where it just, it's kind of just a corridor where we can fence it off and, and intensively graze it. And, and we, it's a, it's a draw. So we wait till it's dry and, and then we, we go in there. So. Talk to us a little bit about what you think livestock integration has done for soil health and kind of what you might have to compare it to. Um, you know, uh, maybe maybe new fields that it, that you're taking on or something like that. One of the one of the things that I've heard from a producer that I've worked with for nine years, he said when he takes on a new farm, it takes him three years to get the soil and the crop up to speed. I was wondering if you could tell us some of your observations and then how long some of the stuff takes to come online for us. Well, uh, um, you know, with with cattle, you know, everybody thinks it's it's what you can see with your eyes. You know, our um, one guy asks, "Well, how, how do you think? Why do you think you can um, reduce your fertilizer when when your cows are only, you know, their their cow pops only in here and here and here?" Well, it's not about what's above ground, but it's about what's going on below ground. It, it's the microbes and it's the, you know, the, the microbes that are in a cow's gut, they, they communicate with, with soil microbes. And that's where you're seeing the benefits of, of soil health um, it, more than anything. Uh, you do get the value in, in the manure and the urine, but uh, it's just not a concept that, uh, people are really understanding I, um it, it takes a while to understand you know you gotta have like a microbiology degree or something like that 
like Barry has. But uh, I won't hold that against you, Barry. <laughs> Thank you. But being um, able to yeah, just reduce our fertilizer. Um, you know, we haven't put we haven't put fertilizer on a bean crop in six or seven years, and we we're our bean yields are are only improving. Um, and it, and that's because of of the cattle integration. Um, we we plant just about as much small grain as we do soybeans. But our uh, you know our corn crop we've we've reduced our fertilizer probably cut our fertilizer to about a third of what someone would recommend for for um, the yields we're getting. And and when you can do that, you know that you're you're heading in the right direction. So our our thoughts on fertility continue to evolve. Um, five years ago, we thought that we needed to add more fertility to grow a corn crop in the valleys where we were going to get a higher yield, and then cut the rate over the hilltops where the yield was always going to go down. We now realize that the soil health in the valleys is is so good that that's where we don't need much fertility added. It's the hilltops where we have low organic matter that are, are missing nutrients. So what we've gone to doing is in our strip till, we put on fertilizer over the ridge tops to grow 100 bushel corn there. And then that's all we put on on the rest of the field too. So the variable rate stuff that we were so proud of five years ago is kind of gone. We do vary the side dress nitrogen um, somewhat because, uh, you know, parts of the field don't need anything added at all. And so bottom line, you're, you're talking about you're making more money per acre than you were. So it's, it's not necessarily record yields, but your yields are there. They're getting better, but it's, it's money per acre. Is yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, five I, years five years ago, when fertilizer was cheap, um, we were putting about a hundred dollars an acre worth of fertilizer on. And then two years ago, when fertilizer prices exploded, we were still only putting a hundred dollars an acre of fertilizer on. That affects the bottom line in a hurry. And and we also, I think you sh you should talk about the the herbicide program. I know what. You know, we're, we're looking at with, you know, with our corn, we only spray our corn once and uh, our soybeans, most years it only looks like we need to spray our soybeans once. And, and a lot of that has to do with, with not tilling, um, but, it, and, and the cover crops, you know, choking out the weeds and things like that. But there, there's just, you know, when, the, when you talk about soil health and diversity, you got to look at at diversity in your herbicide program because if you keep doing the same thing over and over again your weeds are, are just going to keep coming back so we we spent uh two days in january at the south dakota soil health um meeting in in sioux falls and the takeaway for me from that meeting is that we need to do more with cereal rye um, you know that I don't like a mono species 
cover crop, but I do like some of the ideas that came out. Um, one of them being that you you go into standing rye early and you plant a soybean crop underneath it, and then you go out and you you harvest the rye off the top, and your soybeans come up and you you get a an average to above average soybean crop on top of a really good rye crop, but the, there's two things going on there that intrigue me, and the first one is that the rye, with its uh, allopathic ability, keeps the weeds out of your soybean crop, and the second is that the rye scavenges all the nitrogen out of the soil and puts it into its top growth, so the soybeans have to actually work really hard to get their nitrogen. So then, if, if you plant corn into that the next year, you should have a tremendous amount of nitrogen right there in the soil for your corn crop. I did want to talk to you about uh, your trafficability in your soils. Uh, again, you guys are near the Watertown area. Sometimes getting in fields is tough. You've had some situations where you've had prevent plant, but have you found that your trafficability over time has improved you're able to get equip equipment in a little bit earlier you're seeing less standing water we've we've got a self-propelled sprayer that we've had for 12 years and when we first got it we were doing minimum tillage i guess you'd say and when i went out to spray and when i went through those low spots <laughs> i was making ruts that were a foot deep and because we did a lot of no-till it was tough to get rid of those well I noticed a year ago when it was wet on our side of the road where I was spraying in cornfields, I wasn't making any ruts at all. I was driving right on top of the soil because our soil structure is so much improved from what it was 10 years ago. Go ahead. Fall, we're, we're able to drive a truck into the end of a field, turn it around and point it out of the field and fill it up with grain. So that's, that's good evidence. And I guess you're also seeing that in less standing water on your land? Oh, definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you have uh, some of your landlords comment about the way the land looks? I, I know from our side, uh, one of the landlords of the guy that I do some work with, um, he said, you know, I had to take a shortcut over that field the other day during winter, and I, I took the shortcut and it was no problem. I would have never done that five years ago. <laughs> so just the improvement of the land there. So the the land that I got to rent three years ago, um, the son of the landlord comes home every year to deer hunt. And I had a long conversation with him last th uh, Thanksgiving time about what he, how, how much he likes what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, there, we just added uh, 200 acres a couple of years ago, well, about three years ago, that uh, the landlord called us up and said, uh, hey, I, I know you guys are no-tillers. Uh, do you want to rent our land? Because the current tenants don't want to no-till, and we're making that a, a, a stipulation. And um, we're like, sure, yeah, well, you know, we just do what we do. And and you talk about trafficability. Um, even though that land is fairly hilly and poor soil, uh, we found the first year that it – it was really muddy in the low spots. Um, and last year it was better. And I, have, I imagine every year it's going to get a little better. 
No doubt, no doubt about it. Well, Barry and Eli, we're coming to the close to the end of our time. Did you guys have any closing thoughts, what you'd like to share with me, or maybe for fellow farmers and ranchers in your area? Um, yeah, uh, I guess my my thoughts would be that the journey to soil health begins with the first step, and the first step should be a small one. Um, just just try it on a small scale on a field that you can afford to have a failure on, and then don't do the same thing next year because you're going to have to be um, flexible. You know, always be flexible and always be ready to change that plan to make it work. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, did you have any thoughts or any questions that you wanted to ask? I, I mean, I, I could sit and talk with these guys all day. I, <laughs> I guess I just, parting words would be, just, these are two of my absolute favorite people uh, to go out and visit with. So I, I was really looking forward to this. Uh, you know, you can tell when you get on their farm how much they enjoy this. And uh, it, it's just really a testament to to doing things the right way. And uh, I'm I'm really appreciate the fact that you guys continue to share your story. Barry and Eli, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, I'm looking forward to getting this podcast out. Looks like we may have enough for more than just one podcast, but so good to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we can uh, see each other in person this year when I visit South Dakota. So thanks very much and goodbye. Always a pleasure, Buzz. Thanks. thanks for having us. Well, Buzz, I did want to say for our listeners right off the bat, while it's on my mind, that Barry and Eli are going to host a little event in Castlewood, South Dakota here Coming up shortly, I believe. I don't know if they've nailed down a date for it yet, though. Yeah, they, they gave a general month. Uh, now, remember, this is 2023. So if you listen to this in, in, in a later year, it's, it's not relevant. But yeah, I think that'll be great because they're going to have some of the, 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 the products from their farm on display and, and for folks to eat. So I think it's just going to be a great event. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be there, but I might try and figure out a way to get out there and taste some of that stuff. Good pork, a little bit of lamb, and then, of course, their great eggs as well. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a great fun event for all, so be on the lookout for that one. Buzz, anything uh, jump out to you from this episode? Well, like I said again, you know, this the ethic that they display in how they manage the soil, water, air, plants, animals, uh, impacts human life as well and i think their their quality of life is is so good they love farming they love doing what they're doing they're excited they're always being challenged and challenging one another to to try things new and uh you know that's what stands out to me about these guys and of course the other thing is uh, eli uh, in two two podcasts back directly attributes soil health to the fact that he is going to be able to take the farm. There's enough mm -hmm. room on the farm for both him and Barry. And I think that's great. 
Yeah, well, I know that first thing you said about all the changes and how hands-on they are with their operation, that stands out to me from the first time we visited with them. And I think it was Barry Little who said one of the things he loved most was that there was variation. There were different things. He was engaged in his day-to-day life as a farmer and a rancher. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Buzz, I'm going to let you do your say your piece here. Yeah, well, um, we... In our staff, we also have some other people. um, And uh, of course, we always need vision. So we have an assistant director of strategic planning, and his name is Kent C. De Trees. (laughs) And of course, for all our visits to South Dakota, we have to have an assistant fleet manager, and her name is Lisa Carr. Okay, just so everybody knows that hasn't listened to the last couple episodes, Buzz is uh, Buzz thinks we need to give some real people in our in our office and in our uh, network some shout outs here, which I appreciate. <laughs> Thanks to Click and Click the Tappet Brothers. Okay, well check out the show notes for free links and resources. Uh, don't forget to remember the R's. Rotate, rest, recover. And the five principles of soil health. Are we hopping those into uh, at the end yeah. of every episode yeah. here? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to let you say them this time. All right. Minimum disturbance. Minimum, not no disturbance. Minimum disturbance. Keep a live root in the soil year-round. Keep the soil covered. Diversity, diversity, diversity. And guys, integrate that livestock. Got it. That's obviously been a big theme for us in our content over the last... I guess close to a year now. I'd just fallen in love with those ruminants. Okay, well, we'll hop out of the way. Thank you guys for checking out this episode. Be sure to tune in for the next one. I am Barrett Self. And he's Buzz Clute. No, no, I'm Buzz Clute. And keep it resilient. Mm-hmm.